Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing on. live here in the virtual green dragon tavern located in the gorilla camp deep in the heart of rule northern north carolina and it is wonderful to be back in here with all of you this evening doing a live show and man oh man what a live show it is going to be we have got a mountain of things to talk about tonight uh the world is getting into a pretty dangerous place um you know and i say that with with all severity um couldn't make it through the biden speech and uh i think i think it's really interesting that he he, his handlers keep wanting to do these speeches on thursdays Uh, i remember when he gave a address also the, the uh White House was red for that occasion as well, uh, talking about, quote unquote, domestic terrorism. Uh, the speech tonight was incoherent. I couldn't make it through. Uh, I, I, I had completely had enough. Um, didn't want to hear anything else the, the man had to say. I think it's a travesty that he is up there, that the Politburo is, is putting up a puppet uh, that is this incoherent. Who, who is up there um, spouting off nonsense. You know, there, there is a nugget of truth in every lie. But what I saw and exactly where I cut this off, he made the entire thing about Ukraine. And we know what Ukraine is all about. It is a money laundering scheme. It is a grifter scheme. It is a self-enrichment scheme that we've seen. And only morons have bought into this. Okay, only morons or the people who are in on the joke have bought into this. This is ridiculous. Um, And for him to take the very dire situation that is unfolding right now in Israel with Gaza, uh, how the USS Kearney was fired upon today, um, there's a lot that we still don't know about that. The fact that the White House doxed an entire team from CAG, from Delta Force, uh, in, in a photo op. This is ridiculous. Uh, this this is absolutely asinine. We are not a serious country at this point. And we are not. We are not leading the world from the front. Because they'll see Ukraine for what it is. They've already, they, they, they're already done with this. And this conflict... Best case scenario, the conflict that's unfolding would be the exit ramp to get us out of Ukraine. 
This is there is no way that the Ukrainians are going to win this war. All right, their their best hope right now is settling it out. Two state solution, you know, whatever regime change, but the jig is up. It with that that whole thing, right? The jig is up, and there's more serious irons in the fire. This this is such a severe and dire situation that we're getting into that we're not prepared for. Our bases all across the Middle East. Now it doesn't matter how you feel about it. I don't think that, that we should have our people there, but that's neither here nor there, right? The, the reality is, the fact is, is that they are, and that represents you and I, whether we like that reality or not, and they are now being fired upon. Who are they being fired upon? By the Iranians. Now, yes, the Russians are guiding that, but we are too occupied with Ukraine, and this is what I've been saying the entire time, the entire time, that Ukraine is very much America's military waterloo. We have not had a winning strategy there from the outset. We haven't won. So you could you could sit and say, well, the Russians didn't win either. Well, maybe they haven't won completely yet, but they have the patience to wait things out. But more importantly, they have the supply line. We do not. We do not. And that is a sober analysis. We've fired off all of our major munitions there, and it doesn't matter Somebody pointed out just a few minutes ago, oh, well, we're, we're going to get on a war footing. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll crank up production. We've been doing that for the past year. We've been doing that, right? We've been doing that for a little bit longer than a year. You can't just invent something out of thin air, folks. You can't do it. It cannot be done, all right? We're in very dangerous territory. If you look at our southern border, we've been completely infiltrated. We have an entire faction of our populace, communist sympathizers, that the FBI cannot even call what is, is. Domestically, we are a mess. We're not going to be on the same page. We have a revolt that is brewing inside of the State Department because of our our, uh, policy of naming terrorists, terrorists. Do you not understand this? You know, and and yet the Make America Great Again crowd, you and I, we, to these people, we are the enemy, right? You got to give me a break. But they're going to ask us to go to war. They're going to ask us to go to war, a war that they are going to lose, by the way. They are going to lose this because what are they going to fight it with? And what happens if they win? Look at what these people are responsible for domestically and abroad. Look at this. Y'all, it, 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 it's, it's the LGBT agenda, the demonization of whole sections of, of the American populace, the demonization of success, the incessant lies that they continue to tell. This is, this is out of hand. All right. This stuff is completely... out of hand. And these people do not know how to win a war. They do not know how to prosecute a war. Let me remind you that the same people who are in charge of all of this were the ones who lost in Iraq. They were the ones who lost in Afghanistan. They were the ones who lost in Ukraine. Because let's be blunt, 
they kept telling us, well, if we just give them this, if we just give them that, if we just give them a little more money, if we just give them a hundred billion more dollars, if we just give them uh, uh, their their armored fighting vehicles, if we just give them Bradleys, if we just give them Abramses, well, they'll be able to win, right? It's a continuous ratcheting up and they haven't won. They haven't won. They have not yet taken back one square inch of Ukraine that was lost. None of it. None of it. None of it. And meanwhile, the Russians are sending forward their surplus, undesirable population. The ones they can afford to lose. Meanwhile, on the Ukrainian side, they're sending they're sending forth their very best. They've already lost them. Right? They've already lost them. What are we going to fight with? We have a major problem, major crisis in the military, recruiting crisis. We have non-commissioned officers. We have we have General Eisenhower with an I, by the way, General Eisenhower with an I, who was speaking before the media on the mold crisis in the barracks and passed that buck right along. And said, well, you know, it, it's soldiers' fault. They should, they should clean the barracks a little bit better. This man is not a leader. This man is not a leader. And the Army, I can speak for the Army specifically. It looks like all the branches, but the Army is full of these pieces of trash. And there is no getting rid of them. There is no accountability because there was never any accountability. There was never any accountability from Afghanistan from Iraq, and this this Politburo, which now exists in uniform, kept promoting the good old boys, the ones who were part of the in crowd, instead of the real warriors. They didn't want the warriors. They threw them out. It's a self-enrichment scheme, and they're going to build it with your dollars and your blood. It's quickly coming to a head because there is a very serious and determined enemy out there that wants us brought down. And that enemy is inside the gates now, as we have been warning you over and over and over again. If you do not think that these things are going to have a spillover effect inside the United States, you are sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. We've already seen it. We saw an insurrection inside the Capitol that was led by Rashida Tlaib. And I discussed this earlier today, this morning, with the first podcast of now this is three. I've spent a lot of time on the air today. There's been a lot of things to dive into, right? And you have the left that's immediately uh, defending this, saying, well, you know, this is no big deal. It's different when we do it. See, it's, it's, it's activism when we do it. It's not an insurrection. Right. Yeah. Give me a break. But they're they are right about something. It is different when they do it because they know what they can get away with. As I've said over and over and over again, they know exactly what they can get away with and what they're going to continue doing. Now, it's going to be interesting. One of the things we're going to be talking about tonight is this uh, unfolding mutiny inside of the State Department. They got some real problems. The the militant left has got some real uh, bones to pick with the establishment left that is running things. And we're about to see that that insurrection unfold. Uh, and yes, I did use that word very specifically and very pointedly there. We're about to see that unfold. And that is going to be very, very interesting. And it all boils down to the question of Israel.
Uh, but anyhow, uh, with that said, there's a whole lot of you coming in here tonight, uh, listeners to this live show. And of course, I am joined as I'm waiting for everybody to trickle their way in here. I am joined first and foremost by my good friend, Mr. Johnny Paratrooper. Hey, buddy. What's up, man? Great intro, Drinking a little by the way. I, um, well, thank you. This podcast is is going to be one of the bigger ones, I'm sure. We are obviously at war right now. I mean, this is, I mean, we're getting missiles shot at our ships, right? Like, that's not going to end right there, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, they, I think, it, I, I, man, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Navy boat that's at the bottom of the ocean tomorrow. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, you know, we pray for the best. But the thing is, is that the the leadership of this nation is so weak. And everybody knows it. I mean, everybody knows it. You know, it's, you know, Iran is hell-bent on their aims as a nation, as a society. You know, I was talking about it with Knightsbridge earlier today, uh, which... That podcast, the, the podcast I did early this morning, uh, discussing Rashida Tlaib and then uh, diving into some some listener questions, that one already got a ridiculous number of downloads. It was like like uh, fifteen hundred or so in just twelve hours, which is is pretty wild. The one I did with Knightsbridge, uh, pulling that up, that's just shy of a thousand right now, and that was six hours ago. So uh, we had we had over five thousand downloads today. Um, I just downloaded the Knightsbridge one. I'm going to I'm going to put yeah. that on and then I got to tear out the ceiling. I had a leak while I was out of town. Oh. Yeah, putting it, I'm going to put in a nice 17-hour day and then just fall uh, over. Yeah. Eh, it is what it is. It is what it, you can always go vaulted ceilings, you know. You know, I'm going to go with that rustic exposed joist look. It's it's in. I'm going to paint the joists. It's going to look really nice. Yeah, that is yeah. Good, the man. acoustics will be much better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But talking about, you know, the, the goings on, man. USS Carney, it, it looks like now the story is a little bit more clear. And uh, the, the advantage to doing what I do is I and I, I get to talk to a multitude of, of incredibly knowledgeable sources on just about everything. I mean, you know, I've got a couple of, of uh, former Navy officers, uh, one of which is a destroyer officer. I mean, he was a deck officer and a destroyer. You know, we had nice. a, a brief conversation about it. And, um, you know, it, and, it, you know, it, it was details were a little sketchy then about exactly what happened. Uh, There's some rumors that it that the missiles were actually being fired at the USS Baton. Um which would mean that they they were trying to hit a, uh, a troop ship. Uh, Joe, I heard you you pipe in, man. Your your audio is super super low. Just as a, a heads up, but um, that that's the rumor right now. We we, we shall see. Uh, but we do know that these weapons were being fired by the Houthis. And just as I was talking about with Knightsbridge, we were talking about the the potential fallout between Saudi Arabia and Iran as Iran begins to to really uh, ratchet up what it's got going on. 
and um, you know what that would mean for domestic oil markets, which obviously is a huge deal. Um, and you know, we didn't really dive into the question of the Houthis too much. I kind of glossed it over, uh, but I do expect them 100% to to ratchet up what they're doing, and it looks like they're right on time. Um, so they they had kind of calmed down, and, and if you know, a lot of people don't know a lot about the conflict in Yemen, but it is a proxy war between the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. And, you know, that, that is kind of how it, it distills itself down. Um, you know, it, it, with the Houthi rebels, they, they're being in, uh, they, they're playing the role of the Iranian proxy uh, because they are Shia and they've been carrying out attacks against the Saudi government. You know, obviously, uh, the United States is, is uh, bolstering the, the government of Yemen. But it's it's very much a, a, a regional power uh, inside of Yemen itself. They don't really have a lot of governing ability outside of Sana'a. And because of all that, so, so putting all that together, uh, the Houthis really are gaining a, a significant amount of traction and have been. Uh, the, the Yemen war that's, that's been a, a largely a covert war, and it's been out of the American media too. It's, that's why Americans don't really know about a lot of the goings on in Yemen. Um, but it, it's, it's pretty nasty. The Houthis are gaining a lot of ground there, and they're posing a threat to everybody in the region, and of course, uh, the Horn of Africa as well, because that's that's not just a major shipping lane, but that is uh, critical to our long-term strategic objectives in the Middle East uh, with with regard to naval power. Um, of course, the Chinese are filling their oats. They have a gigantic naval station that they have built there. Uh, that was finished a few years ago. Uh, and, and you know, I'd, I'd have to pull it up to tell you exactly uh, the year. I want to say it was 2018. But um, they're growing by leaps and bounds. And, of course, the Iranians are, are welcoming, welcoming them with open arms because they're allies. And they, they've, they've been an informal ally for a long time. Um, and, and I look for them with bricks to formalize that allegiance. And of course, military alliances always follow economic alliances. And so uh, what I was talking about earlier today, breaking down how there, there are two hegemonies that are now uh, more directly clashing with one another. That's where we're headed. Uh, so, you know, it, it's um, serious situation is unfolding. Very serious situations unfolding. And, and I think, um, you know, we, we can pray for peace all we want, but we're, we're definitely headed down that path of war. Uh, so yeah, man. Uh, anyway, yeah. what better question, uh, your, your thoughts and then tell me what you're drinking tonight. Uh, my thoughts are, I think China is going to use this as the opportunity they've been waiting for to pull a, um, to come out as America. World War II style, but on Asia side, not really like the Atlantic side, more Pacific and India issue. And they might fool around in the Middle East, Black Sea area to uh, become a little friendlier with Russia, maybe even um, help with supply lines that way or something. But uh, in fact, I think that's already been established. Um, I haven't I haven't looked too much into that. But 
if um if china if everyone gets into a big war and uh, all these islamic countries need um chinese production to keep the war going because let's be honest you know these these islamic republics are not the most reliable labor and um they just i mean they can't even make a car let's be honest so the um so what is uh What's going on over there is I think they're going to do like a Lend-Lease program and really try to secure, um, they're really going to try to secure uh, coming out financially on top, production, military production-wise on top. We've already seen that they've built their military, uh, you know, geared towards, you know, good enough. They've cloned some of our designs, but obviously they didn't make them as complicated. Um, they, they, you know, they've cloned them in function, but not the exact form. Um, they do look similar, but I think that's for when they come to the U S we aren't sure which one to shoot at. Um, as you, you and me wouldn't be sure which one to shoot at the military would probably know, but you and I would have trouble distinguishing the two. Um, the, uh, the, the, and that's not an accident. I mean, they made them look the same for a reason. Um, and I, I see, I, I see China coming out big time on this one and them being on the other side of the planet. I really see you were saying our lax production. So um, those that uh, have have been to my house know um, there's if you're if you're driving to my house, there's production. Uh, there's machine shops that have been running every Saturday for the last year. And um, there's. FedEx trucks in the parking lot at 12 o'clock at night, picking stuff up and sending it towards West Virginia. So if you're from the area, you know what that is. They make a lot of missiles around here. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, Scout is right when he says that. And if you drive down 68, 70, they're all there. It's not a secret. Dynamite Nobel, they make all the bodies for the missiles and stuff. And um, those guys that own the horse farms are the electrical engineers that work at those facilities i mean it's you know i hang out with those guys um and we have lots of guns so don't come here looking for trouble um but uh yeah so you are correct to say that they, they you know it's we're definitely making them it's just like is it making a difference because russia already had them stockpiled and went right. hard in the paint um which is what you're supposed to do it, you know the mad minute isn't just for your assault rifle it it functions on artillery as well and missile barrages and yep. and stuff like that so um and and so uh you're 100 correct i was reading a world war ii book yesterday um the allies built 80 billion bullets rockets mortar rounds and artillery shells 80 billion 80s. now that included the russians though right in world war ii i did yes i yeah, believe they because... yeah it would they would have counted it then yes because a, a lot of people in the west a lot of uh, Americans, I, I'll be very specific, Americans. I mean, Europeans, they, I mean, they, they still remember what it's like, like generationally, you know, yeah. for the most part. They're, they're pretty loath to, to uh, get into to a war, um, you know, but uh, Americans, you know, socially, we're, we're removed from all that. I mean, it, it you know, it because it, our cities didn't get bombed. You know, it, like socially, yeah, we, we lost a whole lot of people, but it was nothing compared to uh, the Germans were absolutely wrecked. 
the yeah they lost fifty percent of their male population. Yeah, the the French were absolutely wrecked. Like they they were completely wrecked. British the, the British culture never recovered. Yeah, they culturally never, the French split. That that was like yeah. a big deal for the French. They they were right back where they started from yeah. the beginning of the war. Like it was not a good place to be. But but as bad as it was for all of them, it was the worst for the Russians. Yeah, like it, it was culturally, it was the absolute worst for them. Um, they they lost so many people that they they understood. They came out of it uh, socially understanding, you know, that this is the cost of war. Now, you know, they, they had a lot of missteps and everything, but one of the things that they mastered very much the the way that that we did in the United States, but they did it in a different way. They approached the problem in a different way, but moving was, their manufacturing, right? The, the, the ability to manufacture things and the logistics behind it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, that they, uh, they prided themselves upon and we did originally, uh, we did as well. And, and that was lost somewhere in, in the profit margins, but it was simplicity, simplicity and longevity. And um, there was something. The simplicity being they put their stuff, they put their shit so far away from the Germans and the Chinese, nobody could fucking bomb it. Like, well, how yeah, are you going to win if you can't bomb their production capacity? <laughs> but it was all the way down to the mechanics of things. Like, it, you know, the, the, any mechanical engineer will be able to tell you that the best design is the simpler one. I mean, this is why, you know, I, I look at my, my Glock 19 right here. Like why yep. is a Glock 19 is as good as it is at everything? It's because it has very few moving parts. It's it's a very simple weapon, um, and it's a very robust weapon for that reason. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, when you look at at Russian engineering and American engineering from that era, it they were very similar in that we built things to last. They would last a long time because they were built very robust and they were very simple. Um, you know, I have a deep freezer from the early 1950s. It was built in the early 1950s. I'm still using it. And that thing weighs a ton. Like, literally, that is a six-man lift kind of job. And I, I moved it. Um, that that it, it That is a crazy, crazy heavy thing. But um, when I moved it, I got to looking at the compressor and, like, the, the parts that were on it. And they were huge. Like everything was a really big piece and it was very, very simple. And that's why that deep freezer has been running since the early fifties. And it's been right. well maintained and, and mm -hmm. taken care of. But, um, you know, with, with that said though, if you look at Russian technology in, in general, it's, everything is very, very simple. Everything mm -hmm. is very rudimentary. Um, you know, no, no complications. And they were able to do some pretty interesting things. They maintain that philosophy. Like a few months ago, there was a, a Russian soldier. He might have been from Wagner. I, I don't remember. Uh, but it was on their Telegram channel. And that, of course, made it to the social media outlets and what have you. But um, he was talking about Russian equipment and comparing it to um, what he was seeing the Ukrainians use that was Western equipment. And, you know, how... Um, for example, when the the vehicles would break down, Bradleys specifically, I think he was talking about the Bradleys. If I, but it's it's been a few months. But um, 
how it kept breaking down. Like one of the reasons they were so successful in, in uh, defeating that armor was one horrifically bad tactics, uh, just horrifically bad tactical implementation of them. I mean, that that's not up for debate in Ukraine. Yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. Charging towards artillery, doing direct lay on you with a uh, Bradley is a really fucking stupid idea with yeah. no smoke in the middle of the day. Absolutely stupid yeah. idea. I mean, you know, I, I, I prayed for those poor saps. That, that yeah. They, 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 they died a horrible death. You know? Yeah. They're just absolutely horrific. And, and they probably didn't want to be there either. It, and that's, that's the reality of it, you know, but, my point is, though, is that this guy from Wagner was talking about how simple the Russian engineered equipment is and they can just fix stuff. You know, they, they can they can fix things. And and I know that, you know, early on, when the Russians were using a lot of their reserve units in the initial invasion. There was um, they they were plagued with maintenance issues and, you know, had a lot of their stuff was breaking from neglect. Like, I get all that. Um we had that too, though. We had all those issues too, and and we had first world equipment that, that was fairly complicated. Um, you know, I mean, does anybody remember the the armor fiasco where Donald Rumsfeld, the soldier, I think it was probably two thousand five or so. It was right before I went in the army. Um, dude just called him out on the spot. It was like, hey, why don't we have armor for our stuff? Like we we have to put sandbags now. We're driving over IEDs and we got we got sandbags and floorboard Humvees. You know, it dude was exactly right, man. I remember uh, my first deployment. We were still using Frag Five. Jesus, and- how would you sit in that machine if you were over five foot five with sandbags on the floor? Bro, life finds a way. You know, life finds okay. a way. I yeah. wouldn't be able to you fit. I, I'd idea. be a permanent, permanent. I'd be a permanent turret gunner on that mission, buddy. I wouldn't fit in that fucking seat. Yeah, yeah. There'd I mean, be no way. Nah, nah, nah. You, no, nah, you definitely couldn't sit in there. Friggin it was already tight enough. I mean, yeah. you had an extra, you take four inches away from me. I ain't gonna fit in there, man. I'm telling you. Nah. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, they wouldn't put armor on them. It was a big deal. Remember the congressional hearings about that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw it. Like, there was still hillbilly armor on on the 114s or on the 1114s, rather. And then we, we were getting 1151s, which were a nightmare. Because uh, the 1151s, I mean, yeah, they were armored on the sides of them. But dude, a Humvee ain't designed for all that weight. Like it's it's not designed for all that weight. And so we'd be driving them. Like I remember one time, bro, the the whole wheel just fell off. The front passenger <laughs> side wheel on the T, you know, in front of the TC just fell right off. And it yeah. was like, oh shit, why are we sitting sideways? Did <laughs> you ever have an eleven fifty one? You did, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I thought they were good if you had fresh springs on them, but if, if the springs were a fucking, if you had a low rider 1151, that was a rough ride. They didn't, they just didn't last, man. They got stuck they, a lot too. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, oh, we buried them. We buried one bad during the race oh, yeah. season. Mm-hmm. We buried that thing. I mean, cause really the Humvee's already sitting low to the ground. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's kind of funny to me cause, um, you know, 37 inch tires on it. I got 37s. I, I got uh, a set of surplus Humvee tires under my cockpit. And nice. Yeah, gotta have. Yeah. What? Well, oh, you haven't seen it, Madman. Dude, I haven't been down in six months, man. I've been so busy. Yeah, Madman's seen it. 
but you ain't seen it. But anyway, no. I got, I'll, I'll be down. Start. I'll be down. You saw it on Twitter. I got a mm-hmm. six inch lift under that thing. And, you know, it, it sits up, you know, super high up off the ground. But Humvee, man, bro, you bury that thing no time. Um, but, yeah, anyway. Anyway, it, it's, um, it, it, I mean, we're, we're about to find out. I mean, we, I mean, the Navy, you know, take the Navy, for example. Like, all right, so they downed some missiles. Could have been, like, there's some conflicting reports. Uh, I'm waiting for, for uh, Dolio to get back in here. He he punched out for a second. I think he's trying to figure out his his uh, microphone issue. Well, you, you punch out, you out. go to work, you know, <laughs> reload. No, 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 no. I'm just waiting for him to get back in here because he's going to – he followed up with this a little bit more than I've had to do uh, or I've had time to do today. But, um, you know, it's uh, – he he's going to be on the up and up with this. But it's looking like it was a uh, drone swarm along with a rocket attack. And, and there's some conflicting information, as there always is. Um, Destroyer intercepted it. Uh, it was USS Kearney intercepted it. Um, and uh, that's pretty much the long and short of it. So, I mean, we, you know, our boats are definitely getting shot at. Um, low tech looks like it didn't win uh, the fight today. But, but what I think is is this is classical Iranian uh, Eastern style tactics of a probe first to see what uh, as a gauge to see what your um, uh, your your enemy's capability is and their ability to respond to it is so that you can you can figure out where that reactionary gap is and then the real attack follows that. Um, I know you've experienced that in Iraq. I've experienced it, um, you know, certainly in Iraq and Afghanistan, where they uh, famously what comes to mind here is uh, there was a big attack on Fob Walton uh, close to the end of my time in Afghanistan where they, they were trying to use Bangalore's. And, um, you know, it, it was it, that's just another example of it is you're looking for that reactionary gap. Yeah, I, I, um, they, they're certainly, um, they're certainly probing. So I posted on, on AP, uh, inside the Hamas operations order from Operation Al Aska Flood, and that is by, hold on, I'll give you that. Oh, damn it, that is by uh, Macbeth, Ryan Macbeth, and it is fantastic. Assuming it's real, you know, benefit of the doubt. Uh, it's fantastic, and it shows the operations order from from what appears to be Iran. I don't know if it's real or not, but he goes through it. And um, for educational purposes only, if you've never seen an operations order, take a look at this video. Uh, grain of salt, though. But it's pretty it's pretty standard. Um, it, it looks it. I mean, they certainly had a plan. I it after watching this, I was like, oh, I get it now. The paragliders were the fucking um grand finale or the the coup de gras or the money shot they sent the paragliders into the festival because that's the big show it's it's like us having a um huh it was a shock and awe yeah 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 it 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 was it was like how we jump um paratroopers into uh or airborne guys into um stadiums and we're all clapping stuff they wanted it to be the opposite of that you know what i'm saying 
so yeah they did they definitely were going for something there anyway take a look at this thing it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting if you guys have never seen an operations one um and i uh i i i think um i think we're certainly going to see like that was a show of um it's that's kind of like when the 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 little guy beats up the big dude at school you know the underdog i mean that this is like this was a big deal because now everyone's looking at it and they're like well wait a minute i can fly a paraglider and shoot a rifle and i know how to land a paraglider you know it's like they're like wait a minute this is easier than it looks like now these guys actually from the op order you find out they had no medical which explains why they had no casavac plan and it explains why their medical was like maybe a tourniquet if they even brought one I didn't see anybody applying tourniquets to themselves. Yeah. And when they um, when they got shot, everybody was doing prayers for the guy that got shot. Like one guy would hold him and pray with him, and maybe another guy would stand there and pray. And and then he would pass away, and they would pick up their rifles and move on to the next neighborhood. I mean, that's that's pretty fucking serious. And that's what it says in this op order. So I think this is real. I don't know if it's real, but it looks real. Um, and that and from the video I've seen, that's what it looked like. And it is going over, you know, the, the, the weapons and stuff. I mean, could it have been produced after the fact? Of course, I'm not an idiot, but, um, it, you would have put a lot of work into this for no reason for a couple of clicks on YouTube. Um, it's pretty good, but no, I I'm fairly certain it's legit. Uh, yeah, it looks, I, legit. I, I had a purview to that earlier. Uh, it looked legit to me and kind of explaining, the uh the lack of of medical care i mean you gotta understand i i didn't read what was written on uh the the uh, headbands they were wearing i couldn't really make it out from the photos uh but i know that that in islamic uh militant culture when you are wearing green emblazoned with a shahada uh, normally the Shahada is, is going to be in the center and then you're going to have, uh, your, your, your other Islamic, uh, calligraphy around it saying, uh, various things, uh, you know, what, what you're there for. Symbolism is, is very, very deep mm -hmm. in Islamic culture. And you got to think that, that, you know, this is, um, it's something in American culture that is very muted. Uh, we, you know, like the, the Patriot movement, for example, like we, we have the symbolism of, you know, the Betsy Ross flag and, you know, we kind of, that has morphed into, uh, you know, all, all sorts of other directions. And of course, then there was the, the Spartan helmet for a while and like all this other shit, um, you know, and, and okay, whatever. And, you know, I, I mean, I use the resistor and the, the Contra FDN, uh, diamond and everything is as symbolism and it means something right those things mean something but in the islamic world it means it, it is everything like that that is everything you are willing to die with that on because that is it's so much deeper than a um than necessarily a passe um you know, hey, we're 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 here, and you know, this is what we believe. It's no, this this is the center of your life, and those guys are ready to be a martyr. Like this is a very deep thing when you have a shahada emblazoned on you, um, anointed on you. That is symbolic of I am I'm going to die for this cause. Yeah, and they they went in there knowing they weren't going to come back. Uh, 
uh, and you know, they're fine with that, right? They're they're fine with that because they are completely justified in the mind of Hamas. They are completely justified in everything that they are doing Mm -hmm. in every single thing that they are doing. It it is because this is a holy mission. You have to understand what, what is meant by uh, the Al-Aqsa uh, uh, brigade and, and the Al-Aqsa swarm. You, you have to know what Al-Aqsa means. It's the Al-Aqsa mosque. And, and this is the mosque where uh, it's going to be built in the same place on, on the Dome of the Rock, the same place where um, where the religious Jews believe that that the third temple and the Christians, you know, we believe this too. Uh, some the Zionist Christians believe this that the third temple needs to be built there to bring about the Messiah. Uh, Zionist Christians believe that that that's going to bring about uh, the second coming of Christ, and of course the Jews believe that's going to bring about their Messiah. Um, you know, leading to the the Battle of Gog and Magog on the the uh, the mountain of Megiddo, but you know, it, it's I'm not a Zionist, so whatever. I that's you know, it, it's and I don't buy into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also yeah, says a great bear sweeps in from the north. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it does. I mean, in in Revelation, it it's I mean, it's 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 in there. I but like I said, I'm, I'm not a Zionist. Um, you know, it, it's because there, there's, well, I don't, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Anyway, the it's, point is. It's not the point of this podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you find that a lot. And, and I'm not faulting anybody. You believe what you want to believe. I mean, dispensationalists believe that. Uh, a lot of your, your uh, uh, the evangelical branch of Christianity believes that. So a lot of it goes into the end time prophecy and stuff. And hey, man, you know, I mean. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I, what I'm saying is, is uh, I don't personally ascribe to that. Uh, there's there's scripture in in the Bible that, uh, in both in the Old Testament and the New, that that you know has kind of a different take on things, uh, and you know, an, an alternate take on it. That that you know, anyway, you get off that train. Point is though, is that these guys believe and and what i pointed out about the twelvers is what they believe in and the twelvers in shia islam or your uh orthodox um uh shiites who they are the ruling party by the way the ruling faction inside of iran they believe that you have to purify al-quds which is jerusalem with fire in order for new life to begin the new era where the Islamic armies will be led by the Mahdi, who is the 12th and perfect Imam who's going to rise up out of the well and Kum, right? Mm-hmm. Wish- well, in order for that to happen, uh, you know, you, Al Quds has to be purified with fire. So that begets, um, you know, where the nuclear facility, the Bashir nuclear facility is where it's located. <laughs> I don't actually. It's located in Coombe. That's where they put it. Why would they put it there? Oh, Why I actually think they... I remember reading that from um yeah. that Navy SEALs book, The Lone Survivor. I think okay. I remember he mentions okay. that in Lone Survivor, I think. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, why did they put that there? You know, everything everything Iran does is deeply symbolic. Everything that you have across the Islamic world is deeply symbolic. 
because it, it's it's you're talking about a civilization that views time very differently than we do. You know, they, they view, uh, the, the, uh, there was no middle ages. There was no Renaissance. There was no, uh, reformation era or any, they didn't, they don't view it that way, man. That's, that's not, that's not what they do. And, no. um, this, this is, you know, it, it's, it's the way that we look at the passage of time is very worldly. They look at things in terms of, of long, long, long-term vision, keeping them the same <laughs> and <laughs> preserving and the past. Yeah. That, that's something that, that we, we just can't get in the West, man. We can't wrap our minds around that. Uh, yeah. So, well, I'm a Renaissance man, but you know, I think it's okay to paint oil paintings of beautiful naked ladies. You know, now yeah. it has gone a little too far since then, but you know, if we could rewind like 50 years, I'd be cool with that. But um, yeah, it's really taken a mess, and they nobody takes it seriously it, to the point where you can't even find somebody that wants to defend us on the streets of America anymore. They're like, die for the country. They're like, eh, I'd rather let the people in charge learn their lesson first, and then I'll sign up. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'll wait till the first wave's gone, then I'll wait till people get their shit in gear. But that didn't even happen oh. in Ukraine, which was probably yeah. why so many people signed up at first. And now they lost all their engineers and architects and all their yeah. fucking smart foremen and leaders and builders. And Russia's going to come in there and nobody's going to be around to rebuild Ukraine and they're going to rebuild it themselves. It, but just de facto baked into the cake at this point. Yeah, man, it, it, dude, the corruption is too deep to hide. It's too deep to hide. But with that said, I know Patriot Man's in here. For some reason, I cannot see him on the computer. Oh, there he is. What's up, buddy? Uh, what's up, brother? Is Dolio in here? I, uh, I only see the else. three of us. Uh, you, JP, and me. Um, oh, I forgot. I got to put my phone 30 feet away because apparently I blow everyone's eardrums out when I talk, despite the fact I literally use nothing except the microphone on my phone. But um, no, man, I'm doing, I'm doing good tonight, man. Um, but you know, you were saying everything with them is deeply symbolic. And that makes me really nervous for Monday because Monday is the 40th anniversary of the um, Beirut barracks bombing. And so it makes me nervous. And this is not, I didn't figure this out. Someone smarter than me figured it out, but it makes me nervous when we see all this, we're evacuating the embassy. So having all this pop up around the 40th anniversary and knowing how, they do care about the symbolism of when they do things. I am going to be quite nervous for the 23rd. Um, because if, if they were to hit something that, that was an American target, particularly with the level four evacuation or level four travel status in Lebanon, that would be the time to do it. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, that, 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 that could get a little spicy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, someone just said it on Twitter, and uh, I was like, oh, I had, no. I hadn't even thought about that, man. I knew we yeah. were it. I didn't know what day it was. Man. Yeah, I, I didn't. Like I said, I didn't know either. Someone on Twitter was like, I just want to point this date out. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, that's not good. No. And, and, and they got long memories, so. 
Well, they that's that's what I was hoping Dolio's in here because he, I mean, he he knows all about the baton. If if I remember correctly, he he served on the baton for. Yeah, fuck yeah, get him in here. He why he was in here and his microphone was low, and I said, hey brother, you know, get it, get it. You gotta you gotta crank that sucker up a little. Maybe he's writing TW twelve, TW thirteen. <laughs> well, he's, he's working on six right yeah. now, but uh, he'll get the twelve. He'll get there. He'll get there. But yeah, man. Ooh, I, you know, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought about that that angle, but um, yeah. But tomorrow's Friday, and we know that every Friday, for whatever reason, Friday is is when all the shit goes down. Uh, you know, it, whether it's scripted or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the shit goes. Well, back. I mean, look at look look at the seventh, um, or the uh, technically it was the sixth, but their seventh um, when we were down at the G camp and everything popped off. I mean, yeah, we were uh, just sitting there watching it like in live. Um, that was that was surreal. Just watching it, we had Sky News on in the, in, in the team room, and we had you know we had twenty students at that point. We'd had like. Maybe six to eight, no, maybe about eight to ten out four there, and we're just that's all. That's all we talked about, and about how it would affect us. And it's um, watch them cover the border, the conversation about the southern border, all those things were going on. And you had a solid thirty Patriots sitting there <clears throat> talking and brainstorming and just taking it all in and what comes next. And it was uh, if if a, if if a tragedy like that was to happen it was an interest it, it was interesting that it happened when we had all of those people together because it was used both as a brainstorming exercise and also a well let's play some scenarios off each other what about this what if they do this then what happens here it was you know we never want what happened in that attack to ever happen but it happened, and we happened to be in a, a position where we had a lot of really smart people who were tuned in. The reason they're there is training, or they've been trained, or their back is out for to think about the guerrilla fighter. And so, what did Hamas do? You know, what did like in some aspects, what did they do right and wrong? And there's a lot what they did wrong, and they're realizing that now. I think, um, where were the gaps in Israeli security? You know, what does this mean geopolitically for the area? It was just a very interesting time to be down there and see a lot of people with very diverse backgrounds. I mean, we literally had people from East Coast to West Coast there yeah. and North to South, everything in between. Um, yeah. We had the literally. basically you can outline the entire lower 48 with the students we had there. And just to have their perspectives as we talked about these these topics, it was a very interesting time to be there. Yeah, man, well, it's a it was a good case study too in asymmetric warfare. I mean, it and what the eerie thing about that was was that was dovetailing, you know, the the first night of class where I'm giving kind of that that brief on here's here's your your patrolling knowledge, like the the basic block of instruction, but here's where like why it matters. And so, you know, you're, you're given like the, the, you know, sweat MC and Carver and, uh, breaking that stuff down and then bam, you know, zero 500 that morning, all of a sudden, you know, you're getting a case study. 
like literally. Yeah, like during during time. breakfast, there basically uh, the, the 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 Carver and, and Sweat MC were still up on the board, basically going through the news and checking off the letters as to what was hit, and then the Israeli response. You could do the same. What was hit? Um, so yeah, you're exactly. It was it was basically a a really shitty, really terrible case study that was live and in color about what we were learning about or what the students were learning about during that class. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, um, the thing is, and, and this is something that, uh, Matt from Knightsbridge brought up earlier today and, and it dovetails what you were talking about, Johnny, with that operations order, uh, coming from Hamas is they, they are much better at what they do than what we want to give them credit for. Um, something that I've said this entire time with regard to Ukraine is and a, a major criticism that I, I hurl at the NAFO crowd, because I think they're all idiots, uh, it is, and, and literally they are. I mean, you can't tell me that somebody like Adam Kinzinger, who's literally, he, he is literally... Uh, a coward and a shithead in, in every sense of the word. This is the kind of little chicken shit guy that, that would, you know, hide behind the biggest guy in the room and talk trash to you, right? And and not, hopefully he doesn't get his ass kicked, but you always want to see this guy get his ass kicked. Um, you know, you 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 just can't, not, not to be smirching anyone who, who served in a support capacity out there, but you can't talk the talk like you're a friggin' meat-eating trigger puller and, you know, have drove a refueler plane and, you know, you flew over Iraq once or whatever. Like, uh, big shit, dude. You, you ain't nobody. But anyway, the NAFO crowd is full of the never-has-beens. Uh, uh, the Malcolm Nances of the world and everything. Uh, it, it is what it is. But point is is that we, we love to dehumanize our opponents through minimalizing their effect. And this is a psychological process that, that we will do. Um, well, they, they, we tell ourselves, well, they're not as good as we are. We're, we're better. And you're psyching yourself out at the point. Well, you know, I don't, I don't have to uh, train as hard. I don't have to um, take all those precautions because, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm better than they are. There's no way they can fight me. This is something that, that we've seen repeatedly coming out of NAFO crowd with regard to Ukraine. Yep. Um, and they've been full of shit. They've been full of shit over and over again. Like, look, I don't, I don't like the Russians. All right. They, they want to overthrow the United States and want us off the world stage. The thing is, is that we're making all the right moves to let them do it. Um, they, they, we're making it easy for them. And, and the thing is, is that these people are saying, uh, they're running around out there making excuses for it. Like, oh, well, you know, oh, but they can't do this. They can't do it. You're underestimating your well, opponent and you're getting your ass kicked. It's the worst time to do that. We, let me, let me finish what I'm saying is that with Hamas and Hezbollah, we, we love, we love to dismiss them as they can't do this. They can't do that. They're not capable of doing this, that, or the other, because they're all stupid and they're, you know, they're impoverished and they don't know shit. I'm here to tell you, man, I've told people this, Patriot Man, you've heard me say this, Johnny, I know you've heard me say it because we had a conversation about it. I think the last time you were down here is all the dumb ones are dead. All the dumb ones have been dead for a while. Yeah. These boys mm -hmm. are smart. 
and they are good at what they do. They definitely learned. They learned. All right. They, they, they definitely learned and they adapted. Yep. And another thing they did is much like they kept it simple, much like a gang member from like Baltimore City knows you can snatch and grab and run through the neighborhoods and weave. Right. They learned in Iraq, you can fire a couple rounds and run away and you will survive. I never once saw anybody that fired a couple shots at us and ran away, get ran down and killed. Now, I was in the middle of Baghdad, so you would have to have a Baghdad type of a of a area. Um, you know, you'd need like D.C., New York, Baltimore. Um, in a rural area, we caught them and killed them. But in, in Baghdad, they always got away. If they fired a couple rounds at us and ran away. Um, and, in, and by 2009, they had that down to a fucking science. I couldn't get up out of bed in the morning without getting in a Humvee and hearing a snap over my head, driving out of the fucking post. And they always got away with it. We didn't even bother chasing them down. We used to just, we, we actually got ordered to stop calling it up on the radio unless somebody got hit. So dead serious. Oh yeah, we did too. So, so the, the, but, and this is something that Scott has been preaching for a long time. The parallel to this, if you want to take what we're seeing overseas and bring it back domestic is how many right wing guys are like, Oh, Antifa, all those those transsexual, blue-haired motherfuckers, they ain't gonna do shit. Well, guess what? What what we're doing to Hamas, what we did in some aspects to some of the Taliban, you're underestimating them. They're far more organized mm -hmm. than you actually think that they are. I mean, you know, when we were playing out for Tuesday night for the recce course, we were playing through the speakers radio comms of antifa and i don't remember uh, it was uh one of the protests i don't remember which one it was scout but um it was yeah uh, and, and they, they were slick on the radio they they knew what they were doing kept messages short they i mean it was it was pretty it sounded pretty good for people who apparently don't know what the fuck they're doing and a lot of us on the right are like oh we're all these big right-wing manly men and we're you know they're just these little these little bitches and that's not the case and, and and I think this attack is the great thing. It's like, who would have thought Hamas could have coordinated something like this? Well, because you underestimated the enemy. And we're doing the same thing. Just transport that. However many thousands of fucking miles back here, we're doing the same thing with Antifa. So it's just that parallel of don't ever think you're superior to who your adversary is. Because they're going to surprise you. And when I watched that Op Orders video, I was like... This was organized. I mean, this was careful planning. I mean, they figured out where they can get paragliders across. They figured where they could hit this, that, soft targets. Knew that the IDF yeah. in certain areas wouldn't be ready yeah. for it. Like, yeah. it took a level of planning that I don't think the IDF gave them credit for. Hey, and Joe, by the way, can I ask you a question, Joe? Before I, before uh, while you're on that, um, while yeah. you're in, while you got that energy, buddy, I want to yeah. get some of that energy off you. If you could add, subtract, or change anything to that change order based on your experience, what do you think? I think I would have, I think what I would have did was I would have focused more on, on smaller IDF outposts and limited the brutality that I would have did to civilians because you wouldn't have got such a, a snapback response from Israel. You know, mm -hmm. it, you know, when you have stories of, 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 you know, 
these Palestinian, these Hamas fighters who are, you know, torturing people before they kill them, you know, gouging out eyeballs and cutting off digits before they kill them. That's going to rile the IDF up. You focus your attack on a couple of these outposts, you make a hit, and maybe you get some civilians too. Like, I mean, that festival was pretty easy picking, right? That was, that was pretty fucking dumb. Um, and that was easy picking. So, all right, you're Hamas, you want to make a big splash in the news of mass casualty, hit that in force. Right. And then you have hit the IDF outpost. They fought back, but they clearly were not staffed enough because they were all taken. Now you get their equipment, you get whatever from there. And then Israel's going to be pissed, but not pissed where like the IDF is going into Gaza and wants to literally everyone is declared enemy combatant because you literally tortured grandmas and you killed them on Facebook and then uploaded it to their Facebook so that their family members could watch them get tortured and die. Take away that from their ops order, and that could have been the troops getting overzealous, but I'm sure in the ops order there was a certain amount of like, bring the pain, right? When, when, you, when you look at it, it was bring the pain, we're making this painful. You know, that's why they, they the third intifada. We're making this painful, but take away some of that brutality, and I think that they still get bombed. I don't think IDF launches a ground evasion. I think they bomb them more, but I don't think they'll launch a ground evasion, or if so, maybe just on the outskirts, kind of contain the city, still cut off services. I mean, that's just that's just the way I viewed it. Yeah, I actually was thinking that the IDF would feign into Gaza to see what the other guys would do, but like a big feign, like a gambit, like like an ancient Greek type of a yeah. Like go in attack. and see. Okay, now where all of a sudden are they? Where are they moving their fighters to to engage at? Gives you an idea of, of the of the disposition of where the enemy is, right? Where the troop concentrations are, like, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh wow, we got serious resistance in, the, in these areas. All right, just it's going to start raining jadams. So that's it. So I think that's the only thing I would have changed if I'm in their shoes. And and I think they kind of realized that when the Hamas co-founder was like. I don't exactly remember what he said. I re- I tweeted it on my account at some point. It was basically along the lines of like, kind of like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done that. Like they realized they fucked up with that aspect. Like they kind of realized like the leadership, like the, 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 the rank and file dudes were like, we want blood. The leadership was kind of like, well, maybe that wasn't such a great idea because now they're getting the unbridled rage of Israel. So that's just my two cents on it. I don't think they expected it to work as well as it did. That yeah, it, it was surprisingly effective. They was, they caught the IDF sleeping. They caught the IDF sleeping. The whole IDF was sleeping. The whole IDF was sleeping, dude. That's yeah. what happened. That, see, it, and that's the thing, man. Is is that there's a couple of ways to look at it, and and I don't know which way is is right and whatever. I, I, but this is my thoughts on it, and I shared this already. Um, there's a lot of people that are tossing around conspiracy theories and, you know, like, uh, Netanyahu wanted this to happen. And well, I, I don't think I will say this. Netanyahu is a, a nationalist. The man lost his older brother in one of the most legendary raids, uh, of, of all time. And he was the only casualty in that, by the way. Uh, but it was, uh, the raid on Entebbe and, and that, uh, there's a contemporary film that was made about it, but the, the story is much better. Uh, you know, as, as a military historian, that's an important one uh, to watch. 
and to read up on and, and study up on that. But but Netanyahu is a nationalist, and he's he's not willing to accept uh, unnecessary casualties for anything. It, that's to, to say otherwise is kind of. Uh, um, you know, you you can th- hurl a lot of criticisms at him, um, but that that's not one that that I think holds any water. But uh, with that said, you know, you got to understand that socially Israel is on very thin ice. They're experiencing a major population decline. Um, their millennial and Gen Z populace is extremely decadent almost to the degree that they are out of hand. Um, they have a, a lot of American uh, dual citizenship types mm-hmm. that go over there. And, and I mean, if and this is something I was saying earlier today, the, the kibbutzes that were attacked in southern Israel, I know of, of at least a couple of them that were havens of a lot of left-wing activity, uh, that's connected to NGOs that, that are here in the United States. Um, you know, one of them was featured on, I think CBS news is doing a vignette about it. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, there were some open borders advocates. We'll just put it like, yeah. That. And then, uh, uh, eight days later after the documentary, they got their yeah. head. Yeah. 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 Literally. Like literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and it, that's unfortunate. Like, that, okay. Yeah. That, that's unfortunate. And, and it's, it doesn't diminish the attack and it doesn't diminish what happened, but, the, but the truth is what it is, right. It has to be pointed out. Um, and then of course, you know, you, you see a segment of that same populace who is very heavily critical towards the nation of Israel here in the United States that was active on, on the, in, in the Capitol yesterday. Uh, we saw it like and I kept pointing that out. Look at who this is. The, these are these are not Palestinians that are occupying the capital. Look at their banners. Look at what they're saying. OK, these are people that hate Israel. They hate the United States. They see it as being one in the same. It doesn't matter. By the way, it doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It, it you know, either country, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's how these people this is how they view you. Okay, this that's what I'm telling you. Um, so anyway, uh, point is though, and, and nothing's going to happen to them because they have overhead protection in the ACLU and the ADL, and you know they they and any criticism that you hurl towards, well, that's anti-Semitic. Yeah, I can understand uh, the disenfranchisement. They're self-hating, but they, this is, they have a, a major problem inside of Israel right now because of that. Because of that, that is that is how it is breaking down. You have the strong nationalists who are the you know the the older generation, and there's there's some in the younger generations too. But the, that that influence is waning. I uh, I had a friend. Well, it was at least. Well, I mean, yeah, well, we'll we, see. see. And I, I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there about that. Uh, you know it it. it the the unfortunate reality behind this is is that the um those 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 opinions didn't go away all right they didn't go away that didn't just change um you know and i had a friend who served in in the idf who was a paratrooper that that went into the invasion of lebanon 
their last incursion in Lebanon. And he and I are about the same age. And uh, he got out and he, he that that whole thing left him very, very disillusioned with a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, I met him in a, a professional capacity uh, in academia. And, and, you know, I identified very quickly with him because a lot of those same uh, emotions and the same feelings that you have towards all of that is, um, you know, I, I get it, man. So, you know, I feel that, too, uh, towards the United yeah. States. Of what shared life what, experience what the, there is. How sure. did you, you, you know, yeah. How, how did you, he, and, uh, you, you kind of feel like, like everything you do, the, the guys you lose beside you, like, like it was all for nothing at the end of the day. And, um, anyway, point is though, it, it, that's, that's an aside, but something that he told me that, that was really important, uh, that, that, you know, I had never heard in the United States is that he, he said, man, I, I don't think Israel is going to last another generation. And I said, why is that? He said, because when you have troops that are going through basic training and their mothers are calling the drill sergeants and saying, yeah, you're not going to be mean to my kid. And then they don't, and, and these are your, your, all your troops, but, but especially your reservists, the compulsory service uh, folks. And he said, you know, and, and then they don't want to be there. There's nothing professional really about them. And, you know, they they like to pose in their uniforms and stuff. Of course, he was talking about the, the Instagram thoughts uh, that, that, you know, like to make the, the videos and stuff. And, I, you know, yeah, I, I like seeing the cute chicks, too. I mean, you know, is what it is. But um, point is, is that he, he said this this isn't the army they can fight. Um and I was kind of was kind of taken aback by that because you, you always, you know, you have a high opinion of the Israeli military uh, because we're kind of indoctrinated to believe that. Yeah, their tankers that, are good. I really like. I know a tanker yeah. of theirs. Um, Baltimore has one of the largest Jewish populations in the world, actually. Um, yep. yep. And uh, I actually have Israelis in my family now. We there was a big wedding this weekend, uh, and of course, about fifteen of them couldn't make it. They were flying out the morning of the attack, actually. Right. Um, and they couldn't make it. Scout, I told you about this. I told yeah, yeah, yeah. You friends and me. listeners. Um, and so, you know, I choose to side with Israel personally, not just because I have family there, but I can go to a party and dance with Israeli girls. I am not allowed to do that in Islamic Arab culture. So obviously I'm picking the cute girls that shake their butt. Um <laughs> Pretty simple choice for me. Um, I think those guys are cooler than the other guy. Just from a field perspective, if I was walking down a street in one country and walking down a street in the other country, the the choice is crystal clear. And yeah. I know I say stuff on Twitter. I'm just yanking everybody's, you know, I'm just pulling the cords, trying to get people to think. But I wish the IDF wouldn't lie so fucking much. But I know why they do it, because I've been to Iraq. Um, well, yeah, it where I was going with all that, though, is is that I think that, that the Iranians know that um, they have very, very long memories. They have yeah. a very long term view of things. And when the Western influence begins to gain hold of the, you know, the here and the now, you only live once and everybody's an individual and uh, society is is built on individual terms. 
man, they look at that as weak. Well, it is weakness. I mean, you know, I ain't going to whitewash it. Yeah, it is weakness. It is. That that is weakness. I mean, you know, your your civilization once that ideology begins to take hold, and it really took hold with the boomer generation of you know, well, we're all going to be individuals, and you know, whatever, and like life is what you make of it. That was where it really began. You know, the nineteen fifties, the beatniks gave way to the hippie generation, the peace and love stuff. You know, and and and. Uh, that that's where it, it really began to diminish and it took hold. Whereas in Israel, in that generation, these were the guys who had come out of Europe, the Holocaust, man, they knew what it was like. I mean, you had, you had hard, hard guys yeah. that were just like, nah, this, this isn't going to happen again, you know? And, and that's why the six day war, they fought so effectively because they understood, you know, this isn't just something we need to do. This is something we have to do for our very survival. Yeah. And I, I, I think they, that was really well illustrated <clears throat> kind of early on. I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday morning when we were having breakfast and there was a story coming out where there's a bunch of IDF reservists who refused to go to the Gaza border. Like they refused to fight. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember thinking, that would have never happened before, but because, you know, Israel's never been at peace, but compare the Six Day War to some of the other times in between, particularly when these guys, like, they've always had rocket attacks. They've always had a real rough fucking time where you have air raid sirens that you have to worry about. Like, you have to know where the green doors are. But I remember thinking they didn't have the shared experience of the people before them who fought so hard. Right. And that really stuck out to me because... You had mentioned, you know, the idea that, um, or it wasn't your idea per se, but Israel won't last another generation. I think that that kind of played into it. They're like, well, we're not going to go fight for this. Like, not understanding that it's an existential crisis that they're facing. Like, I don't, like, they, they've been told that, but I don't know if they've really, truly understood what that meant. And I'd like to think that what they've experienced for many, not all of them, because you're not going to get all of them. Many of them now realize maybe this is this is what they mean when, when we were told in basic training, this is an existential threat. This is what they meant because they really got hit hard in this. And I just remember that story sticking out. I was like, I would have never thought to hear that out of Israel, that reserve troops refusing to go fight. Well, I figured they were going to go, all right, what's the ROE? Like, can I just kill everyone or... Do I have to like? Do I have to discriminate, or can I just kill everyone? Right. And that wasn't the case. Nah. And what? So this is what's going to happen. So right now, everybody's all whipped up. You know, let, let's let slip the dogs of war, and you know all, all the things. Right. Um. The the problem with that is is that the longer this goes on, the that that left wing influence that comes from. Uh, the the secular end of things here in the United States that didn't go away. Okay, they, they those people didn't go away. Right now, they're they're in shock because of the you know what happened bit them in the ass. The you know reality bit them in the ass, but they're still not willing to because a left winger can never, especially the uh, the peace and love type left wingers that cause all these problems, never are willing to accept the consequences of their actions. I mean, these are the people that you see that 
um, you know, the, the McCluskeys, the McCluskeys in St. Louis, really good example of this. Uh, for you know, if if you remember back a little bit, I know it's it was a long time ago. A lot of you have short term memories, <laughs> can't remember. But um, the McCluskey, the the husband and wife who stood out there and he, he's getting ready to fire that M16A1 from the hip. And she had some nickel-plated piece of shit and they had the activists in their front yard. Well, they were liberals. They probably still are liberals. Uh, he's a very well-known attorney in St. Louis and very uh, high-level state Democrat donor. Um, this... And, and all that came out. You think he changed his politics? I don't think he did. Um, we we would say in a perfect world, oh, yeah, he'd wake up, but I uh, ain't so sure. Uh, I ain't so sure. And here, here's the deal. Those people are the same. Okay, those those are the in, in, in a society, in a given society, those people are the lotus eaters. They, they want a perfect world. Right. And, and the activist in question that, that I was, uh, that's unfortunately no longer with us, that I was referring to uh, the, the piece that was done on her and her fiance or newlywed husband. I, I don't recall it. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, oh, well, she just wanted peace with everyone in the world. Well, hon, there ain't no such thing as peace. Um, peace is the absence of dissent. And in, in the world where, you know, it, this, this world is not the world eternal. You, there's going to be no peace yeah. until the, the day that the Lord comes back. That, that's just the way that it is. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyhow, these, these are lotus eaters. And so when you have these people in, in a society that have manifested in it, uh, the longer that these things go on, the longer that this, this thing drags out, you have about a two week to maybe a month period where people are all worked up in a frenzy, the fever pitch, if you will. And then after that, it begins to taper off and where Israel is their, their contemporary society. And this is going to happen here in the United States too. And, and we saw this after nine 11, by the way, it was about 30 days later that people started asking some hard questions that the Bush administration didn't want to answer. And they just chalked everything up to, well, you know, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. Well, that's going to begin to manifest. And so we're already uh, two weeks into this going on two weeks into this. And Oh yeah, um, for sure. This is going to get worse. You know, we, we so that timeline is ticking. And when the, the casualties begin to mount, there's and, and mistakes are going to be made because they inevitably will be. Um, I don't know if they're prepared for that. And I don't know. And as I said earlier, you know, earlier today, Israel is perfectly capable of taking care of Israel. I, I'm not concerned about that. That is, you know, I shouldn't be. That's not my fight. My concern is the United States and repatriating our money and our weapons here. They can take care of their own business. And, and hey, if they can't take care of business, then it's their fault, right? Yeah. That, that's just it, because you got to look at the big picture. The United States, I'm here to take care of the United States. I hate it for them, but you know, hey, you yep. socially, you sowed these oats. Is what happened. 
what what we're going to see here in America is the same thing. You don't think that the Hamas proxies, the Hezbollah proxies, the Venezuelans who have a presence in training camps for both, by the way, for both of them that are here in the United States, that, that all of these people, the Chinese nationals, all these these countries that hate the United States that are bringing their people in, and we have no idea who they are, none whatsoever. Don't you think they're looking at that and saying, wow, Hamas pulled off all of that relatively easily, much more uh, successful than they anticipated being. You don't think they're getting some ideas? I mean, yeah. Folks, wake up! But, but look at look at the uh, the one that got exposed. She was a PLO spokesperson, and then um, uh, when Trump kicked him out, she needed a job, and she got hired with uh, I think it's USCIS. I think I got that acronym right. Yeah. And then last a uh, year, maybe two years ago, she was in charge of vetting, um, you know, applications to to come to America. And then during this, she's posting pro-Palestinian bullshit. And now she's put on leave. But, like, that's who we have vetting people coming to America. And there's two things to that. One is either they knew about it and thought it was okay. Or two, they didn't know about it and they didn't do a background check. And now, okay, so if they didn't do a background check on this person... Who else haven't they done a background check on who's vetting people coming in? And that's vetted people. That's not who's coming across the southern border. So, like, exactly to your point, they're licking their chops right now. And they have been for years. But this is like, look what they just did. We can do that. Like, they can do that easily with all, what they already have here, let alone how many hundreds of thousands come across every week. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's... And I, I mean, anybody that that doesn't think that oh, they could pull off something very easily and and yeah, they might even dumb things down now. I mean, the paragliders was like the money shot, you know, that yeah. they, they could they could just go plain and simple. No, they're, they're already across the border where they got a paraglide to. <laughs> exactly. Like, look at how <laughs> like, much support they already have in the United States. I mean, look at this. You know, they they have people who are who are stupid. It's disgusting, stupid. really, when you see it. it I, I'm sorry if if you are a ethnic Jew in the United States, and you're gonna stand side by side with Hamas. Are you? Are you even Jewish? I, I, I have to question whether or not you're even being honest. Oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. I in, in my mind, it, this is this is just like the Harvard law professor that that uh, uh, was he blinking Morse code when he said this? Yeah, he was. He was so upset with Harvard <laughs> because Harvard was putting out a statement that was not condemning Hamas in this attack. So he was so upset. He was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. But he, you know, he's, he's, he, well, he's, he understands and supports the, the freedom of expression. Now, um, nah, man, I'm sorry, dude. When, when, look, when an organization sets out saying, hey, we want to kill you, I take them at their word. 
You know, but then again, I got St. Michael around my neck, so that that is what it is, man. I'm not making peace with you. Yeah, I don't think um, the the rap music has really desensitized people to like ver- like sp- speaking. Um, yeah. When I was a bouncer, people used to be like, "Motherfucker, I'll kill you all the time," and I just, <laughs> I mean, I would just jump on top of you, like, like you're leaving the bar. You don't threaten to kill me. You're leaving the fucking bar. Like, the words and- don't have meaning anymore. I mean, yeah, people think they don't. People think they don't. It's like you can't just spit on me and tell me you're gonna kill me. Like I'm gonna fucking rip your head off and throw you out the front door. Like, like, and I did. I I'd do a flying choke. Like I would just jump on top of them. They'd be like, "What the fuck, dude?" Like it's like, dude, you can't talk to me like that. You're leaving the fucking bar right now. Like you're gonna turn the color purple. I'm gonna drag you out the front door and drop you in the gutter. And every day they'd get up and tell me, I'm going to sue you. And it's like, you can't. They're like, I'm getting the video from the bar. I'm like, go for it. They're going to see you spit on me and tell me you're going to fucking kill me. Everybody can see on video when you say fucking kill you. Like, it, you're not going to do anything to me. You're not going to sue me. I don't care about your dad's emails. Like, go away, dude. <laughs> you just got embarrassed in front of all your friends. <laughs> like, yes, your dad's going to send a strongly worded email. Yeah. Well, my daddy is. I don't give a fuck who your daddy is. All right, show him the video. If your daddy's a lawyer, he's going to be like, son, just be happy you just got your ass beat. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, and like on campus, I don't think you should be able to tell somebody they're a Nazi for no reason. And I went to campus security and I was like, hey, real talk. I've been dealing with this for three and a half years. This is my last semester here. The next person that calls me a Nazi, I'm going to jump on top of them and turn them the color purple. I'm not going to kill them. I'm going to be a total professional about it, but I'm going to do it. And they told me I couldn't come back on campus. And I was like, listen, you fucking faggots. I'm definitely graduating or I'm going to the news and everybody with this. So, you know, I put up with it for three and a half years. I get to have three months. Like, you know what I'm saying? And they would not, they couldn't believe I was putting my foot down. They were like, I was the only one that had, I was like, real talk, in the entire Trump administration, who walked through the front door and said, I've had it, I'm not putting up with it. Somebody call me a Nazi one more time. And they they escorted me off campus. And they pretended that I was like threatening people and I had to go get a psych evaluation. And, and, and I was like, dudes, you're really going to... And they took it all the way. They were trying to take my guns away, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah, yeah. They almost I, took my guns I mean, away. I'm dead serious. They almost took my guns away. Yeah. So... Hey, just come down. This, this country is really falling apart, man. I, I have a question. Yeah. I see it's in, in the show notes. I know we want to get to it. I missed this, apparently. The, we, we have it, um, the mutiny in the State Department. So I missed... Oh, yeah. Whatever yeah, what's that about? about? Thanks, thanks for getting us what? there. Well, we've got, we've got some State Department officials. Uh, the first one resigned earlier today. And uh, I read his, his full statement. Um, I, I read the full thing of, of what he was saying. And he, he wasn't... <sighs> He wasn't necessarily wrong um, in that you can't you can't necessarily gloss over um, 
what may unfold with one side and and just completely ignore the other. And I, I okay, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with that, um, because yeah, it, it war's a tragedy. Like there's a reason that we shouldn't be fighting wars at every juncture, and we used to not. Uh, society used to, you know, when when you went to war. So, like for example, in the Middle Ages, when a king decided to go to war, or the you know the baron, the, his his lordship, whoever it was, it was the poobah of the area, right? The warlord of the area. When he decided to go to war, you know, he's riding into battle in front of his men. There's a great chance he isn't coming back, and even if he does come back, the people under his charge are you know he he's going to lose his best his very best you know the the pikemen who are you know infantry uh, of their era the the that were usually uh uh low class commoners they had come from a a farming background agricultural background so you're you're losing your young farmers your next generation of farmers um your nobility were the ones the guys that can afford horses and afford armor they're going into battle you lose them these are your middle managers and your marketplace guys so wars are extremely costly uh until we got into the modern era where where wars became profitable and that's why we want to do it so much um but the the point is is that you, you know we've you have to call out evil at the same time. And now we have a large and increasingly uh, high number of State Department officials within the State Department that are refusing to call Hamas what they are and are uh, threatening to resign in opposition of the White House's uh, at least tepid support of the Israelis um, in this conflict. And so I think, and, and this is what I was saying earlier today, uh, this morning, and I, I was saying it a little bit earlier in the show too, is that uh, here in the United States, we, we have a militant left that is completely unhinged, and they are very much at war with the United States, uh, with the government. Uh-huh. And they're seeking to to gain control over it. And so, if you think that the uh, the infighting between uh, the House Freedom Caucus and the MAGA movement and the the uh, Rhino GP uh, GOP is bad, man, you, you it's it's because they're not they're not doing this in the open. The left is not doing this in the open, and this is one thing that they're good at is they keep their their shit under wraps and behind closed doors but that's getting ready to blow wide open because they're not infighting over positions of power okay they're infighting over uh who's controlling all of it and right now in this the state department's been a a really it's a really awful organization to begin with um the the history of the state department from the 1940s and really before they've been infested with communists this is why um uh, mccarthy went after them pretty ruthlessly because they were infested infested the, the state department is like half the reason washington dc sucks yeah it they really are it really is because there's like they five really of them in every bar at all times they're the ones dressed like are, and they are trash i mean they're just tra- they're garbage people 
they are they've existed in the ivory tower their entire they life. dress like cartoon it's, characters dude it's yeah, they're like a they're, joke and and so now they're they're all threatening to resign or a large segment of them threatening to resign the way i look at it is sure go ahead go bye uh but but here's the deal. You will never, you will never work in the NGO circles because that's what they're going to do. They will resign their positions. And th this is what's going to happen here. They'll resign their positions. Johnny, you know exactly what I'm about to say because you, you've experienced this. They're going to resign their positions. They're going to go to work for this foundation or that foundation that is a non-governmental organization, an NGO. And that's actually much more damaging because NGOs are tax exempt and they operate outside of the purview of any oversight whatsoever. The Free Gaza Movement, let, let me uh, remind folks out there in case you didn't know this, the Free Gaza Movement, which has been facilitating, uh, at least in part, arms, and this was exposed by the uh, IDF Navy, by the way, uh, about a decade ago. But they've been facilitating arms shipments going to Gaza, at least in part. This was exposed, man. It, it's out there. I'm not making this up. Guess who is in charge of the free Gaza movement? You'll never guess. You'll never guess. <laughs> I, uh... William Ayers. Oh, William man, Ayers. that's wild. Talk about yeah, an inversion of reality. himself. Yep. Or Chicago Bill. It's funny because Bernadine Dorn, uh, his his uh, lifetime paramour, his uh, academic colleague, his lover in arms. Hmm. Yeah, she's. I uh, wonder what her ethnic makeup is. You know, she's she's. Uh, anyway. Yeah. No, no. I, uh, I've been googling you know, this, and, and as you were talking, I was reading that letter. And a couple, a couple, you know, from, you know, I'm a poli sci guy, a couple of valid points there. And then, yeah. um, I, I, I still disagree with the overall conclusion, but it, it was, I'll say it's a little bit better than I expected. I'll say that much. Yeah. But they, they, these are really terrible people. But, but I think that just as I pointed out, we're sheeted to leave. Um, Everybody's calling for her to resign. I'm not calling for her to resign. Well, first of all, she's not going to resign. Um, the worst thing that they could do to her is expel her from the congressional yeah. chamber. Yeah. That's the worst. That, or that, that is the worst thing, the worst outcome for us that could happen. It, that's not the worst thing they could do to her. The worst thing they could do to her is keep her there. Keep her there. You will not be expelled, but this is a formal censure. And never again, never again, as you are in the halls of Congress. This is within their power to do this, by the way. Never again within Congress shall you hold a seat on any committee. So you're just here. Yeah, you're just censored. You're, you're dead here. in the water, but you're just you're here. You you can't do anything. All you can do is vote present. That is the proper course of action. Leave her there. I would rather an enemy tell me who they are and expose themselves in the open than prop up the devil that you don't know. Never interrupt an enemy when they're making a mistake. Right. Go right. ahead. I, because I, I want her to keep her she goes away, you get someone who's like, I'm not that. They really are that. They just are smart enough not to say it out loud.
Right. It, it, you know, we've said it on the show before, it, back during the, the midterm elections, you know, all, all these Democrats are retiring. All these Democrats are retiring, right? All these Democrats are going to retire. That doesn't mean that Republicans are going to take their seat, dumbass. Uh, they, they, they're retiring because it's not competitive where they are and they can, they feel safe enough to punch out. They, they're going to get replaced with, with some other sock puppets. They, 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 they thought they, the seat was going to swing. They might not have done that. Yeah. yeah. They know it's a safe. Yeah. Pull, pull the Sean Hannity out of your ear. Pull the Glenn Beck out of your ear. Like these guys, these guys are hucksters. They're full of shit. Okay. This let's, let's just not, man. Um, and, and look at how it turned out. We're exactly right. You know, it, it, it didn't change nothing, man. You know, it, again, slim majority, right? You get a slim majority in the Senate. You didn't get a majority at all. I mean, Chucky Schumer, have we heard from Chucky Schumer? Is he, what, what's Chucky Schumer been up to? I know, uh, his niece, his niece. So, um, uh, what's her face? Amy, Amy Schumer. Uh, she she instead of uh, making statements in uh, in support of her people and uh, what have you, she's out there saying if Trump gets reelected, she's going to leave. The By the way, fucking please do it. If you want more college stories, I bet you don't. I went yeah. to the same college as Amy Schumer, just to let you guys know that adds more context to the story I told earlier. Anyway, I'm. It's all good, man. Are you, you, you see, you're going to tap out, like tap out. For- no, 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 tap out he's, on, he's, he's on just telling more, oh, more oh, college oh, stories. Like, My college stories are not fun. Man. I don't think college was fun. I, I just one man's opinion, but my first experience in college was a lot of fun. That was, uh, I, I had a black. I mean, my experience in college was fun, but also I went straight out when I was 18. So, uh, yeah, I had yeah, some, I, I had some experiences. That just got called a Nazi for four years straight. Well, yeah, this is a different era, man. I don't. I really don't recall a lot of my my undergrad years. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was a, kind of fuzzy. Memory. I was a bouncer during the Trump me. era, so I just wasn't popular. <laughs> the Nazi yeah. was like the phrase back then. Damn. There was Nazi zombies, Nazi Trump supporters, Nazi. Nazi, Nazi see, see, while y'all guys were out <laughs> out in the sand, I was drinking in college. So yeah. I had a vastly different experience from you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, but no, it's it, it, it's we're and and you know this all this all boils down to. Uh, where I'm going, the mutiny in the State Department is that bubbling up of the militant left that is challenging and really presenting a major challenge to the leftist establishment that's running things, that, that is the, the managerial class uh, of the deep state. Uh, they're, they're getting ready to, to go at it. And here's, here's the scary thing, is that this... This whole thing is an outward showing of solidarity with Hamas. And in case you haven't put this together, you're probably thinking, well, how in the hell are communist revolutionaries in bed with Islamicists? 
Well, they have a long and well-documented history. And I talked about this uh, yesterday on the podcast. And, and so, you know, that really needs to be revisited. So go and, and listen to that. Uh, the militant left's ties to Palestinian Liberation Organization, for example. Um, just one example. There are many. Uh, Bader Meinhof back in the day with Black September. Uh, this is, you know, it is, it's nothing new. But um, the, the thing is, the thing is, is that in the United States, this is an outward showing of support. And they would not do this unless they knew that this was the time that they need to go for it. And so what you have right now is uh, the teenager challenging the dad for authority and bucking that authority in the household. This is what's happening. And when they begin to lose their power, and this is what I was saying about how um, the, the, the worst thing that they could do is allow them to resign and go to NGOs because when they do that, now there's no more oversight over what they're doing. And we know the FBI is not interested in following up on it. Uh, they're not going to do shit. They're more worried about uh, following up on MAGA people, you know, uh, grandmothers and, and you know, uh, a GWAT vets who are disgruntled about the, the condition of things because this is the, they've run our country into the fucking dirt. Uh, you know, and, and asking, we're asking real questions. They're more interested in us. We're, we're the bad guys, according to them. So, but, but again, the FBI, the contemporary FBI agents came from the same halls of indoctrination as the State Department and so on and so forth. But that, that's beating a dead horse. Point is, point is behind this is that they are most dangerous right now because this is yet another outward showing of cracks within the power structure and the infighting that's going to occur there. This is how civil wars actually break down, folks. It, it's not going to be the magic right-wing, you know, patriots are going to be on the march or whatever bullshit it is that you're hearing from the QAnon crowd, you know, the crazy cat ladies that, that still believe that <laughs> shit. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, really. Yeah. They, they call in. No, no, Q's real, uh, but they're doxing so CAD guys. It, they dox CAD guys while simultaneously being in charge and under control. Yeah, real. I mean, they're in charge. Patriots are in control, but they're getting doxed at the same time forever. Yeah. Tattoos and yeah, all, guys. Yeah. Tattoos and all. Damn, yeah. that sucks, dude. Well, yeah, ah, uh, that. Well, anyway, let me finish it. Let me finish this thought, and then we can okay. get into that because that's a fun one, I think. But um, are they not really CAG guys? Anyway, well, mm, yeah. Anyway, uh, the point is that this this is an outward, um showing of the fractures and this would have been unacceptable any other time but because it's occurring now this is how real civil wars begin because power structures begin to fragment themselves into um th their own little fiefdoms and they begin to compete with one another and uh, th that's how that's breaking down so anyway, uh, shifting gears since you a uh, good segue into the the CAG docs. Um, man, I don't know. 
Scout, Scout, before I I know, let me just say this. I saw someone say it might have been the SeaTac guys from SF, which sounds a little bit more plausible as to why CAG would be up in that situation, anyways. So I just I wanted to throw that out there before we started your your monologue because yeah, it didn't make sense. But everyone was saying CAG. I'm like. I don't think they'd get their ass caught in the situation. They'd be like, no, we're gone. Like, no, this is not yeah, happening. They would. Sleeves they up would. and all? I don't know. Uh, man. They would, man. Um, yeah. Well, it's a new it. army then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's. I guess there's so many photos out there. It's like, how do you even these days, um, you know? Yeah, man. First of all, it's dumb to be doing a photo op with the president. Like that's kind of a that's kind of against protocol. Um, that's. I mean, I don't know. I, I I remember a particular time where Biden actually visited Bragg, and everybody you know, was at training. Was, <laughs> you do what? Everybody was at training. Well. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't like there wasn't there wasn't photo ops that were ah, being done. Yeah. I mean, and, and this was when he was the vice president. There, there wasn't there wasn't actual like photo ops that were being done there. And he wasn't. He, I mean, when when they visit facilities, certain facilities, uh, when they do um, uh, HVI visits, um, they're walking, they're touring the facilities, they're getting program managers, they're talking their ear off and everything. Dude, you're not you're not doing that that kind of shit. It, it's it's and and if there is a meet and greet type function, there ain't cameras there unless it's like the unit PAO or something. That's just the way it works, man. Especially overseas, like o- overseas, uh, that shit wouldn't have happened in in the GWAT years. Um, we didn't do photo ops with like admirals or generals. It just wasn't a thing and. In no, I mean when when majors, uh, sergeant Hall. majors, we didn't really do that. Uh, no, it, it, well, when Admiral Mullen came, um, you know, we didn't, we did a, we did a unit photo op with him, but I mean, it wasn't that wasn't something for the press. It wasn't uh, some dumbass in the press office taking a picture and posting. Nah, 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 and I mean that that was actually when I met Laura Logan, um. She was she was traveling with him at the time, and um, she smelled really good. So it was probably so as good wild. as she looks. Mm. Smell you smell very very nice. Uh, well, that was that was pre enhancement. Uh, she got she got some enhancement stuff, um, you know. But th- this was uh, anyway. She remember she she smelled very very nice. And I mean, when you've only seen guys, and you know. Army women, uh, <laughs> you know, for for I think it was probably eight months at that time. Probably, probably yeah, a fucking poodle would have smelled good at that point. Yeah, it, now now all of a sudden you see a, a lady who actually takes good care of herself and you know is, is very attractive. You're like, oh wow, yeah, you know, it's like this this crow magnet instincts just kind of kick in. But now, nah, I mean. The, the way the whole thing went down of like, hey, he's in public here in doing doing a public uh, press engagement 
in Israel, in a foreign country. And now, hey, guys, I just magically have this detachment of, of badass trigger pullers. Hey, come on up here. I want to shake hands with you. I ain't saying it didn't happen, but I don't know, man. And they're all, like, kitted out right there. It just... It is that stinks a little bit to me, man. Yeah, you know, you think was a, I think that they did kind of a photo op to make him kind of look like he's meeting the dudes, and then they got called out because like they weren't black box because they didn't need to be black box because they weren't actually operators, and the White House was like, just take the fucking thing down. I I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I would believe it either way. I got questions. I don't know. They looked like uh, they were in their mid thirties, which means they might be getting ready to like just retire anyway. So, yeah, could be, man. I don't know. I mean, Uh, they they certainly wouldn't have much longer left in the military. I mean, they looked like they were about my age. Hey, Scott, Scott, if we haven't opened it, I have a topic I want to bring up. I want to get everyone's thoughts on if we haven't opened it. Well, yeah, it, Mountain Man here is saying it's more of a SEAL thing to do. And I know you would know, brother. Uh, yeah, I agree. That, that's a very... <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's a, very, that's a very Navy SEAL thing to do. You but think they'll write a book about how getting name? doxxed changed their life? Oh, Yeah, yeah that's, that's, their new, that's their new book angle is, you know... How I got doxxed with Joe Biden by Brandon. I feel like it's a civvy. I can't laugh at that, but I'm going to. <laughs> we are living in a simulation. I'm out. Oh, oh man, dude, it's it's great, dude. I, nah, it, it's during the machine gun course last week. Mm. Uh, I had a buddy, Steel Team Eight, that was that was hitting me up, and he was like, "Hey, man, what you up to? You know, like what you been getting into?" And I sent him, I sent him images of what we were doing. He was like, "Oh shit, that's <laughs> awesome!" And I was like, "See, man, when you get out, instead of writing a book about you know your experiences, you could you just come teach classes with me, man." And so, so that, that, that was that was a fun fucking time. I'm glad I stuck around for it. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, Shooting machine guns is fun, especially on peyote. <laughs> oh, <laughs> The oh, wow. a- action figure therapy. Action figure therapy. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad everybody got that. So, they said, Jungle, you want to shoot machine guns? I said, Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, man. So you want to shoot machine guns and do peyote? Hell yeah, man. Hell Hell yeah, man. Uh, actually, I want to make a note about the action. God damn it. You know, I went over to my ranger's house. I put a thermite grenade on the hood of the car because I'm a goddamn airborne ranger. And when I solve a problem, it stays solved. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny, dude. Solved. Problem stays fucking solved. Like, no, it, I loved action figure therapy because that, that shit was, was that was literally like real people that you know in your unit. Like, there's always that guy who's stressed the fuck out about everything, and he's got like a dozen kids. He don't want to go home, and it, it and that's why with with because uh, the that action figure, I think it was Beachhead. The GI Joe was Beachhead. But um, I don't I don't remember what it what his name was supposed to be on action figure therapy. But he's like, he's like I avoid my wife like a fucking bear trap because I don't want to have any more kids running around. It's like, bro, I know that. Guy. I know that. Like, guy. I, I, I know shit. Know that guy. 
Like he's just like he's got a dozen kids, man. He's just like I'd never want to go home. It's just like it, it, he'll be the last guy there. Like seventeen hundred rolls around, everybody's like punching out right at the end of formation. He's just like, all right, well, you know, I mean, I've got some paperwork to 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 uh, get done in the detachment office. Like, you know, just gonna be in there. Like, dude, go the fuck home. He's like, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> he's always the first guy at the company too. He's like, yeah, you know, I just just want to get out of you. And, and and that guy's poor wife, every time you see her, it's just like, man, this woman has got to be made out of iron. Because, like, you know, he's never home. She's putting up with all these kids. Just like, and she's always the nicest lady, you know, like, oh, hey, I made cupcakes for the whole unit. You know, like, like that kind of lady. Like, man, dude, you, you know, and you always know that guy like Jungle. Is getting in trouble at the titty bar. He just can't help himself. Jungle was my favorite, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, but he's he's everybody's favorite in every unit that you go to. That Jungle guy, always that had guy. plans Friday and Saturday, and might be like, "You yeah. want to go to a movie and hit up Samurai?" And it's like, "Fuck, you got me, buddy!" <laughs> like, I mean, damn you! <laughs> damn. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I was quite that guy, but at one time, I was I was pretty close. That was that that was pretty. It wasn't too far from being accurate. Um, it was just like, yeah, all right, man. This is got some stories, man. Well, Scott, what I was gonna bring up was um, Patriot Man's heard some of them. Oh, I've I, well, I've heard fucking. I mean, how many nights have we spent together, brother man? We uh, we we've had some nights together, and um, was wild, man. Yeah, we um. So, so I wanted to bring up the, the first night of machine gun course, right? So, um, you know, I got two of my boys are running it and, um, I'm just there hanging out, trying to assist as much as I can. And day starts off, right? They're doing some classroom stuff, get some time in the guns. And I just remember there was a point in time where the first night, well, it's two day course. Now it's going to be a three day course, which by the way, you have to if if you can do it, do it. I promise you, it is worth it. Uh, it is w- one of the best classes I've seen. Um, it's a lot of fun, and uh, so anyway, so we um, we're sitting there and we're you know after class. If you've been to the G camp, you know we're kind of chilling out, having a couple sips, chilling out, and we have one of our boys. He's just reassembling and disassembling this saw over and over again he's just taking it apart put it together one of the one of the instructors uh we'll call him d i don't i don't want to say his name his name's d he's watching him and he's like no 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 fix that fix that this guy was doing it for 25 minutes and we're just watching like we're just sitting around chilling and he disassembled and reassembled the saw in 36 seconds and I was like, that's that's the person I want in class. That's the person I want at the G camp. It was after hours. Everyone else, he was still, he had a couple of beers. Like, he was just chilling. But he sat there and was just like, I'm going to get this right. And so when you brought up the machine gun class, that was the first thing that came to mind, was that I watched a student sit there and do it over and over again. And when he finally got it, it, it was like 45 seconds. He was like, I can do better. He's like, give me two more tries. 
Did it again. Yeah. It was like 30, it was like, it was like 40 seconds. Did it again. 30 He's like, I'm going to do it again in the morning when I wake up and make sure I know it. And so then when you're on the firing line, particularly with the saw, which I have no experience with before this weekend, but I've learned is quite the temperamental bitch. Yeah. You're constantly doing remedial oh. malfunction training on the saw. And so when the remedial malfunction training happened, he was just spot on with it. He just, it wasn't, didn't even phase him, just knew what to do. And that's the kind of training you get in just a two day weekend. And so that speaks to the level of, of, of training you get from the trainers on the course. So uh, the fact you brought up the MG course, I wanted to bring that up in the podcast. That was amazing to me. And it happens no matter what course it is, every kind of course, whether it's scout, recce, RTO, you see that light bulb click on and that makes you so happy to see how it clicked. And it was just, I was just, I was, I literally driving back on Sunday, just laughing to myself, thinking about it. Like that motherfucker, <laughs> that motherfucker disassembled or reassembled in 36 yeah. seconds. Holy fuck. Yeah. So I, just, I wanted to bring that up just so if, if you've never been to one of these classes, like any cool dude, not the most, like you wouldn't, if you looked at him, you wouldn't have thought it. But this is, he just like, this is what I want to do. This is the determination. I believe in this cause. He did it. And it was amazing. I just want, I wanted to make sure that was. It's, it's really Im impressive to see guys doing barrel change drills while they're talking guns and they're doing it to the standard. You know, that's, it, it's really, really impressive to see that develop in two That's days awesome. Time. Yeah. That's and, fucking and so sick. The next machine gun course. Yeah, man. This this next machine gun course is coming up in February. Um, we're making it a three day course because of the, the response from the students. Yep. Hey man, they, they they wanted they 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 loved what they did, they loved it so much and wanted to do it for another day. Um and we, we Oh man, I'm in. I'm going. Well you know I'm I, fucking um, going. I'm it's gonna yeah. be my birthday present to myself. I'm going. Hell yeah. We, we discussed it with um, the facilitator of the course, the, the owner of the machine guns, uh, who is a uh, uh, SOT manufacturer. He's a pretty well-known guy in um, the class three world and, and um, those circles. And he lives uh, down in Georgia. Um, so we, we talked to him about it. He's all about it. He absolutely loved the class. Uh, he loved. He was a stud, man. This is a this is a guy that builds machine guns, builds suppressors. He um, he built the American Ventores. So the uh, Brandon Herrera was uh, working on the the uh, American VSS Ventores uh, sometime back, and uh, they had a whole thing. Well, this is the guy that was that was building that. Um, and then they have an AR-15 variant uh, of that as well. It's pretty fascinating to, to look at. And uh, Ralph is, is a, just a hell of a guy all around. But, uh, you know, we, we made this a three-day course. More ammo. Uh, and you're not paying for ammo, by the way. It, it's Well, you, I mean, you are, but you, you don't have to buy the ammo. The ammo is supplied with the cost of the course. Uh, three days now. We're going to be incorporating a night shoot into it as well and uh, thermal optics. So you're going to be running thermal, night vision, uh, getting hands-on with all of that. It's the only place that I know of 
where the only civilian side course that I know of where you are learning how to run a 240 Bravo, where you're learning how to run a saw, where you're learning how to run an M2 uh, 50 cal. You know, so it, it's um it's pretty incredible, man. And and it's it's an experience like none other. And and I know it, it was one of the more fun courses that I've been able to take part in up here. And when, dude, I was exhausted. I mean, I was completely smoked. And coming off of yeah, um, you know, I had so literally I had the RTO an advanced RTO course in Tennessee. Came back, picked up K for uh, his series of courses. And I was facilitating those for uh, Ground Rod and Hard Target Traveler and um, uh, Gunfight Concepts and got the range ready and got everything done for him. was working on some stuff, uh, business end stuff here while that was going on. Uh, turned around, had Fighting Carbine, then had a Scout Course and a Recce Course. So, like, for me... It's been a little over a month and a half of just a gauntlet straight of, of nonstop training. And um, so, I, I, dude, I was I was just blown I mean, out. I, and so, I was coaching you know, after 11 days being down there with Scout Recce and that. I mean, that drive home on Sunday yeah. was horrible. Yeah, and you're, you're just war. You are war completely out. And I was just expecting to, like, stand in the background and kind of be a wallflower and help out where it was necessary. And um, – Man, all of a sudden, I was just like, "Dude, this is this is a really different, uh, really aw- different in a really good way type of class." And and I watched it shape up real quick. And when we got down on the range, man, it was it was so invigorating. I was exhausted, but it was so invigorating at the same time. And uh, it was really something special, man. And and so I, you know, I urge you. We've got everything up on the calendar, brushbeater.store. Urge you to go over there, um, you know, get registered for class. I've got a couple of things. One thing left up for 2023, and uh, the rest, everything is is uh, going into 2024. So the stuff is up there. Register through brushbeater.store and uh, contact me if you have any questions. Of course, I've got a lot of other gear up there also and uh new products that are being added on the rig including the tomahawks the hammerhawk and the spikehawk the ranger spikehawk made by none other than kyle tepfer one of the guys who made uh, a lot of the axes for daniel winkler and so those are all up individually handmade hand finished uh right here in north carolina up in in the great uh the great town of boone the home of Appalachia State University. Anyway, with that said, last call for alcohol, folks. It has been great being in here with you. And, of course, I speak for everybody here at the Green Dragon Tavern. Uh, Bottoms up. God bless. Keep your heads about you. And I'll be talking to you all again very, very soon. This is NC Scout.